Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. We've got another fantastic episode for you today. Shoddy Dave is not joining us, but has been replaced by the irreplaceable Jose Bean. How are you, Jose? Uh, a bit tired, actually. Uh, it was a very a few very busy days with, with buying a house and all the stuff that comes with it and all the insecurities and, and, and am I doing the right thing? And it's so much money, but well, you know, part of life and growing up, you know, getting adult now. But congratulations on your new home. I, I I personally liked my strategy in buying a new home, which was I left for the Tour de France and let my wife take care of it. It was great. <laughs> she had to sign all the paperwork, do all the mortgages. It was fantastic. I tried to do that, but failed. <laughs> the rest of the crew, uh, Dane, how are you this morning? Um, you know, doing all right. I'm I'm now that you brought this up, I'm thinking about uh, a recent situation where uh, I, I had a moving day that I. Uh, I missed uh, because I was at a bike race, and uh, I felt bad about it. But I really hate, really hate moving, and so it was a little e- easier to not <laughs> feel bad about it, not having to haul couches and things upstairs. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think if I miss the next one, I'm just going to be forced to pay for other people to come move our things. I think that's exactly. I think that that would not work. Oh, uh, we're already in that boat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> again, yeah, I do feel kind of bad about that. Abby, Mickey, you are. With your chair, avec chaise, once again. We have been reunited. Back home in Girona. Yes, it is glorious. <laughs> it's everything that I dreamed uh, of and more. Excellent. Welcome back to Girona. And James, you're out of your garage and out of your amazing down super suit for some reason. I figured you'd just been wearing it nonstop since last episode. Uh, you know, I've actually been wearing it quite a bit, uh, but it is particularly cold today. And I have decided to relocate into the basement where there is a lot more background noise, um, but it's a lot warmer. Mm, probably a good much, call. Much, much warmer. Probably a good call. By probably about 60 degrees. Well, let's get into this thing. Today we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about a bit of cyclocross over the weekend, eSports Worlds, which happened last week. Uh, Dane chatted with Sherry Pridham, the world's first woman to be a director sportif uh, and a men's world tour team. Jose chatted with Stig Brooks. Uh, well, I'm saying his name wrong. I apologize, but Jose will say it properly in a little bit. And finally, we'll be getting into Nerd Alert at the end of the episode. We've got a couple topics we're going to cover in this week's Nerd Alert. But before we get to that, Abby, who is responsible for bringing us today's episode i have hijacked the ad for this week because i'm i'm a zwift lever and i know that kaylee is not a zwift lever while there is no banana peels like is that is that like an olive believer but a zwift zwift elite zwift lever i feel like i feel like we need to come up with a with a better better phrase yeah for that. i'm sure mm. that there is a better one out there i'm Anywho, this week's episode is brought to you by Zwift. Like many people, I have really enjoyed getting to know Zwift more in 2020 because of lockdowns and quarantines and, I mean, just 2020. (laughs) 
Swift has pretty much been one of the only constants for me this year, being able to just jump on the trainer and get a workout in. Um, they have a ton of these like amazing workout programs for specific goals that you can do. They have group rides, they have races. Um, my favorite thing is the challenges that they have. You know, if you complete a certain circuit, then you get a badge and you get points and then you accumulate sweat droplets and you can buy bikes. I don't know. It's this whole world that they've created that's just amazing and i'm a huge fan so is this is this what's in the ad is this what's in the ad today this is my ad i wrote this ad and this is why i didn't want you to do it (laughs) (laughs) in january zwift does a couple pretty awesome things with the platform they have the tour to zwift which is their biggest mass participation series of the year for everyone who wants to do it they have the second season of the Zwift Racing League so to every different level they have races for everybody Um, for the best of the best they have the Premier Division League so you can get invited to race that if you're good enough or you can watch still not really hip to the watching of Zwift Racing but I'm all there for the riding of it so thank you to Zwift for sponsoring this episode in addition to Kaylee's request for being able to throw banana peels and whatnot, like like if it was Mario Kart in Zwift, um, I, I would like to propose a change, a completely unrealistic change for Zwift, because instead of being able to like you know earn points and sweat droplets for like you know upgrading your virtual bike and you know upgrading your socks and stuff like that, I would like Zwift to come up with a machine that your laptop sits on top of, so that when you finish a ride. Or when you you know earn your badges and complete your challenges and whatnot, I wanted to spit out cookies, yeah. like 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 a magical easy bake oven sort of thing where like you can preload it with ingredients or something, <laughs> and then like you know when you finish a climb like like this little tray kind of opens up kind of like kind of like how a CD tray used to yeah. open, but with a but, cookie, like a CD like, but a tray opens up and delivers you a warm cookie that you can eat right on your bike like immediate reward for your effort. How amazing would that? How, how much would you pay I for that? I would pay for that. I am. Almost positive that you could cycle power an easy bake oven to make a cookie. So, oh, for sure. Yeah. So, this is a thing that's like actually not that crazy or uh, this is, I feel like this is more realistic of a a request than to have banana peels. If someone came up with that, if someone came up with that invention and put it up on Kickstarter, I would 100% help fund that. I think Abby just self-assigned herself a project to create an easy a a bicycle powered easy bake oven and then make a video about you making your first batch of cookies i think that that's gonna happen over the winter for sure i mean look i love zwift that's why i'm here (laughs) (laughs) that's why you wanted to do the ad today (laughs) um but i will which is legit i will take upon myself this challenge and i will assign it to shoddy dave because he's not here to say otherwise. I feel like he would be a little bit more tech uh, tech savvy slash like uh, like slap slap it slap it together style than me. He, he, he can he can bodge some things together for sure. Yeah, so he yeah. can build it and I will ride it. How's that? <laughs> bit 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 of MacGyver in shoddy. Yeah, I feel like Absolutely. we need more like Abby and Shoddy anyway. 
just in it's true well you're, you're you're in roughly the right part of the world now latvia was a little far away yeah. but now you're within at least like a day's drive of each other so there will be more abby and shoddy we can this is a great soon. project for us i feel like the two of us together me alone not possible him alone i've never seen the guy ride a trainer or even mention riding a trainer <laughs> or like i don't think oh he rode a he swifted a couple times yeah, he rode a trainer he rode yeah. a coffee ride with tom's in lockdown anyway not the point that's that's true so this has basically been the world's longest Zwift ad. Uh, we'll be invoicing them. We'll be invoicing them for 10x the original cost. Sorry, Zwift. Uh, but you know, you got like five minutes of chat here. So let's move on to more Zwift. To what? Esports World. <laughs> there was a race this there was, there was a big World Championship last this past week. It happens on Zwift. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about it, Dane. Tell me what happened. Yeah, the inaugural Cycling Esports World Championships uh, happened on Wednesday this past week. Uh, it was uh, pretty entertaining racing on, on both the men's and the women's side. Uh, the women's race came down to the final climb and was won somewhat unsurprisingly by Ashley Mulman Passio, uh, who was a, a big... Uh, contender in these Zwift races earlier this year before the sort of outdoor real racing. Is it okay to call it real racing? I don't, what, do you, what do you call non-Zwift racing? Uh, reality racing. Before that came uh, back. Acoustic racing. Uh, yeah. Ashley Moon Passio Which was, can was be really shortened good in those events. to real racing if you really want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we can comfortably call it real racing. We can comfortably call it real. I mean... Uh, maybe no real no real isn't the isn't the right word because real implies that the opposite is not that's my real. point i, mm. I don't it's know just what to call outside it. yeah what's the opposite of virtual um yeah outdoor let's call it outdoor racing yeah. outdoor, outdoor racing. racing yeah uh <laughs> well what about what about track what about track racing on an indoor velodrome so that would is that real racing though i mean racing. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, here oh comes we're gonna the get hate some mail. mail. Yep, hate mail coming. Here hate comes mail the hate. Mail. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Ashley Mumpasio, great climber and also a great virtual racer, and those two things uh, kind of combined in a in a climber friendly world's finale, uh, and she exploded away on that final climb. Uh, only Sarah Giganti could follow her, and she managed to pip Sarah Giganti at the line to take the win. Uh, Cecilia Hansen, who's also a great virtual racer, was third. Uh, Luan Passio had some champagne on hand to celebrate, which was really entertaining uh, in her in her uh, Spain pain cave. Uh, yeah, it was a great, great win for her. I watched it, and I was actually incredibly entertained. And something that was really interesting to me was the use of power-ups. I, I'm like, as I'm watching more of the Zwift racing, I'm, I'm able to kind of... Um, deduce when it, it's it's a good time to use a power-up which power-ups are kind of the most coveted um for this particular course the feather light power-up was definitely like the one that you wanted to get because it ended on a climb but what was really cool about this which i guess does tie into the men's side so sorry for cutting you off dane but they only had the two power-ups for the whole usually there's like a ton of different power-ups there's like a burrito power-up and there's like a uh, I don't know, other power-ups. But for this one, they narrowed it down just to the feather light one and the aerodynamic one, 
which was pretty, pretty fascinating, I thought. And both Ashley and uh, Gigante both used the power, the Featherlight power up, like almost at the exact same time. Ashley dropped hers a couple seconds before. And then, and then Gigante dropped hers when she was chasing Ashley down. So it was like just this incredible use of this power up, which I thought was really cool. Cause I ran into Ashley yesterday outside the cafe and was asking her about like the power ups and everything. And, um, and it's crazy how much you have to know about the game of Zwift to be able to win these races. Yeah, it's a different skill set. It's an entirely different skill set. I mean, that's why we saw, like, well, we're going to get to the men's side in a second, but, you know, not a uh, name on the men's side that most will have heard before unless you happen to follow Olympic rowing, in, in which case you might, you might have heard of this dude before. Yeah, it's. I think that's a super fun part. And actually, that's. I was kind of surprised that they removed so many of the power-ups for Worlds because I, I think that more of that stuff makes it more interesting. Trying to just fully replicate outdoor racing, I, I think is 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 a fool's errand. I think that you just have to embrace the fact that you're racing virtually, that you're racing on the internet, that if this is a game. Give me some Mario Kart bananas and, and turtle shells or whatever the you know halfway equivalent is. More power-ups, more funky in-game things, more reasons why you have to be doing this all the time. To fully understand it, to then get the most out of it, I, I, I'll agree with you, Abby. That I I watched it and was I was highly entertained, and I think actually a big part of that was the commentary was really good. It was professional commentary. It was Hatch and and Orla was doing stuff, and it, it was just it, it felt like the same crew of people that you would normally get watching an outdoor bicycle race, and they were they're really good at what they do, and they added a lot of of. They, they, they changed the dynamic for me watching those, that racing and made it feel more like I was watching an outdoor race and there was just a lot going on and I enjoyed it. I, yeah. I, you know, and people people are well aware of my personal thoughts on riding Why I won't let inside. you do it. Uh, I would add on to Swift. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I was highly entertained and I would continue to watch that and I think that, you know, Zwift is onto something here. Yeah, it's not going to fully replace the Tour de France, but it's it's interesting in its own light and it's interesting in sort of you know time periods when you can't be doing other things and winter time and things like that yeah i enjoyed it i i have like some other thoughts on on zwift that i mean we don't have to go in today and like zwift racing and how zwift is now working with uci which which creates some internal question marks but i think like in terms of the e the cycling e-worlds and ashley in particular um at the end in her interview, when she was chugging her champagne, she mentioned that she had been on a diet because it's the weigh in process for this is actually like pretty insane. Um, and like that they have to, it's like wrestling almost. Yeah, exactly. But like virtual. So you have to like FaceTime someone and like weigh in with the camera. Like it's, it's pretty crazy. And, um, and she took it, really really seriously like this was like a win that she's incredibly proud of and for someone who has the kind of results that Ashley Mumenpasio has over her career and is about to race for the one of the number one teams in the world like she's she's going to be on Bowles Dolmans next year SD works so it's not like she doesn't have an incredible Palmares already Palmares Palmares but she took this 
win really, really seriously, which I think just says, you know, that this isn't something that is like because of COVID and because of quarantine and because we were kind of forced into this world of virtual racing. It's, it's a thing that top riders are now taking seriously and actually training specifically for and targeting, which is really fascinating. Dane, who won the Some men's race? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As Kaylee alluded to, uh, an Olympic rower, quite a good one, uh, won the men's race. And I, I should say he is a cyclist as well. It's not like some guy who just, he's a rower who decided to get on Zwift last week. Uh, he is also a very talented cyclist who has been uh, up there in a lot of Zwift races already this year. So he's a, he's a known kind of Zwifting commodity, but he is also, yeah, he's a, he's a talented rower. So not somebody uh, who just does cycling all the time. Uh, Jason Osborne of Germany, and the the race, much like the women's race, it came down to that final climb. Um, nice showing there from Germany in the end. So there was uh, not a whole lot of action in the run-in. Uh, it, it was mostly the race was decided on the final climb. I mean, there were some attempts from uh, the Belgian riders and from Team Canada, a couple of nice attempts from Team Canada to kind of make something happen. There were a couple of moments where there were three Canadian guys off the front. Uh, but things, things stayed together for the end, and then uh, Germany's... Uh, one-two punch of Jonas Rapp and Jason Osborne ended up, uh, yeah, kind of pulling away. So Rapp got clear of the pack in the last uh, several hundred kilometers, and then Osborne uh, moved up to him and went went on past and took the win pretty convincingly, actually. He won by 1.74 seconds, and Swift gives you those exact numbers, uh, unlike in a, you know outdoor race where you just get everybody finishes on the same time or solid integers. You actually get the, you know, the 0.74 there. Uh, Denmark's Anders Foldager and Nicholas Peterson finished second and third. Uh, but yeah, it was a clear win from Osborne. Uh, he used an arrow power-up actually towards the end, so a little bit different from the, the feather power-up, uh, but it's something. Uh, and yeah, took the victory over some pretty strong names on the men's side. Um, the, the World Tour kind of faction was also pretty big on the men's side, just like it was on the women's side, but uh, it, was, it was a non-World Tour rider who ended up taking the win. Uh, he's been in some you know, high-level races, uh, a couple of them in his uh, outdoor career. Uh, I think he finished in the top 10 uh, yeah, in, in back-to-back years in uh, the German time trial championships, for instance. So again, not, not somebody who has no cycling experience, uh, but a, a surprise winner for sure. Yeah, I think he also holds, uh, he holds the record on the real road on uh, the Muur van Gerardsbergen, uh, for example. So, uh, you know, these, these guys on the rowing machine, they can just generate pure power. They have so much, they have so much power. And uh, it shows that, uh, just like Kaylee said, it's a completely, sometimes a completely different skill set than the tactical road racing or, yeah, where, where other things come into play. But I haven't watched it. As you know, I just, it just doesn't appeal to me to watch e-racing. I love riding on Swift a lot, but um, watching it, it just doesn't do it for me. I will say this is like the first. This is the first time I watched and was entertained. Uh, I think that the the production has improved in the last couple months. I think that the the more that we have the e racing, and I don't think it's going anywhere. Like I think it's just gonna kind of keep evolving. And I think the more that it is a thing, the the more it'll kind of play into the game aspect because 
right now all we know is how to ride hard and so that's what it is with like a little flurry of the of the power-ups used and um a little bit of you know the riders have their their directors sometimes on the phone in their ear telling them you know what to do or giving them some kind of advice and i think as as this develops and I mean, the prize money for this race was pretty dang good. Um, it was so when as things like that, you know, become more, you know, more words are hard. I think we're just going <laughs> to we're just going to see the racing get less, less similar to anything on the road and transform into like way more of the gaming aspect. So I, I, I'm going to sort of tie this to something we're going to talk about in in later in the show and then we'll kind of wrap up this this esports stuff but uh later in the show we're going to be talking very briefly about a study that we're currently looking into a bit further and and um james is gonna be writing a story about but it's basically looked at the effects of drafting in various places within the peloton with with other vehicles and things like that in outdoor riding and one of my takeaways from that relating to esports and relating to swifting in particular is that the the amount of of draft that Zwift gives you to sit in a Peloton is actually n- not really anywhere near how much draft you would get in an actual Peloton. And I think that that right there is a big part of the reason why it still often feels a bit more like an exercise contest. Because even though if you add all the power-ups and all these other things on top of it, one of the things that really makes outdoor cycling you know, the chess match that it is, is the fact that if you're sitting in the Peloton, you get this massive decrease uh, in in overall drag, and so therefore decrease in the amount of power that you have to put out. And that is not, you're not getting the same amount in Zwift. And as a result, even if you're sitting in the Peloton, the Zwift Peloton, you're still putting out a significant amount of power relative to the person that's on the front of that Peloton. Uh, and I think that that's, that's one of those things, if they really, if they really did want to make it more realistic, and I, say, I guess more like outdoor racing, they'd have to essentially, essentially turn up that draft. Uh, we'll get into that, that study in Nerd Alert later in the show. Now, I would like to move on, because that's, I think it's quite a bit of Quite a bit of Zwift chat there, huh? We can move on. I'm just, I'm just so intrigued by this Swift racing thing. I don't know. I just think it's super fascinating. I can't wait to see what they do. It next. is, it is. But we're gonna move on. That's 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 enough. We can, or like I said, we're gonna come back to the drafting thing later in the show. Uh, let's very briefly do a little cyclocross update. So we had a couple races over the weekend. Jose, do you want to run us through them real quick? I think you you paid the closest attention to the cyclocross over the weekend. Yeah, uh, Saturday was uh, the, the cyclocross in Antwerp, the same course where we had the Belgian National Championships earlier this year. And it was the return of uh, Mathieu van der Poel, the world champion. And um, well, apart from himself, everybody said that he was the big favorite for the race. Uh, he downplayed it himself. But about the second lap in, he um, he rode away. He rode clear from uh, Eli Isabit, uh, the European champion. He had a little crash. I think it was in the third lap where he just misjudged uh, a little pole in the sandpit, went down, lost some seconds, but in the end, he won it uh, convincingly. Um, on Sunday, we had uh, one of the classics of cyclocross in Gavre, which is a very muddy course. You have to change bikes every single lap because it's just like really cakey mud on, uh, on the bike. Um, that uh, we saw Mathieu van der Poel again. 
um, at a very interesting fight between Van der Poel and uh, Tom Pitcock, who's been a junior world championship, under 23 world champion, winner of the Baby Giro this year, and of course, uh, part of the uh, Ineos Grenadiers uh, next year. Very promising rider, uh, multi-talent, just like uh, Mathieu van der Poel. And he won the race. It was the first time in like seven years that not a Belgian or a Dutch rider won one of the um, classification uh, races. This is uh, the X2O Badkamers Trophy, which is actually like Dane is so intrigued with uh, the bathroom trophy. Um, so that was, that was, <laughs> that was really, really That's cool. literally what it means. It means it's, bathroom trophy. <laughs> it's absolutely the bathroom trophy. On the women's side, we saw uh, Denise Betsema win the race on Saturday. And to be honest, um, I don't know if it was Saturday on, or Sunday, but we saw an amazing fourth place by American champion Clara Hansinger. It was her career best uh, result, uh, just shy of the podium for the first time. Her best result so far was a sixth place last year in Namur and in uh, the French race in Nome. So that promises a lot for next week's or next weekend's race in Namur, which is a really tough race with a lot of climbing. And Clara Hansinger seems to be uh, doing really, really well at the moment. So I think that podium for her is absolutely in reach. She was sixth last year. If you remember, maybe uh, last year there were three American women in the top 10 in Namur. So uh, this is something that we should all look forward to, even if you don't like cyclocross, because Namur is one of the classics on the calendar. It's the second World Cup of the season. And I'm particularly looking forward to seeing what Clara Hansinger can do on that course, especially with the form that she's in. She has to work a little bit on her start. She's losing um, some positions on her start, but apparently she's working on that with Katie Compton. So um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see how uh, Clara is, uh, is developing as, uh, as a rider and doing so well on the European scene. Yeah, I think she finished right with Compton. I believe it was on Saturday. I'm trying to remember the results here. Uh, and then had that amazing ride on Sunday. But it's good to have someone like Katie around if you're a, if you're a young cyclocross racer and you're trying to figure out how to do this whole thing. And because uh, Clara is still quite young and still and still very much figuring this out, even though she's had some some pretty impressive results. And but having someone like Katie Compton, who's been what on the European scene for over a decade now, uh, is certainly helpful on that front. And of course, after after 15 American titles, it was Clara Hansinger taking away that title from from Katie Compton last year. So it's really like changing the guards. And Katie is Katie Compton's been riding better, but she had, had she has had some trouble adjusting um, to the European scene again. So yeah, next weekend's gonna be really, really interesting. Last year, Namur was one of the best races of the year, especially uh, on the men's side, because it was a really, really tight battle and we haven't seen a lot of tight battles in, in men's cyclocross. Um, and that, that, that loss or well, not win of Mathieu van der Poel was actually the first time in a year that he didn't win a cyclocross race. So it was a pretty big deal. And the first time that Tom Pitcock won a really major European uh, cyclocross race. So interesting weekend. I, I am very excited to watch Pitcock develop over the next couple of years. I mean, he's already, he's already obviously fantastically fast, uh, but he's also capable of kind of going toe to toe technically with people like Vanderpool because that's not always the case. Uh, and certainly he's proven time and time again that, you know, Sunday was a really muddy, nasty race, as you said. He, you know, bike changes every single lap. The fact that he could still go toe-to-toe with someone like Matthew Vanderpoel is super, super impressive. And we've seen him you know, do all the same kinds of ridiculous bike tricks and wheelies and things like that. And he's one of those quite exciting racers from a number of different sort of aspects. Uh, more than just a big engine, he's a really, 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 really good bike driver. 
One more thing, uh, Lucinda Brandt, she won the race on Sunday. She now leads all three rankings. So um, yeah, this year or this season um, on her fifth try, it might finally be the one that she picks up the world title. So it's, it's on her mind, uh, the world title next year in the sand of Oostende in Belgium. And uh, she's been, um, well, dominating so far. So yeah, that's also an interesting development. On the women's side of things, it's, it's mostly a Dutch. So it's good to see Clara um, hopefully get onto that podium next weekend. Fingers crossed. Let's continue onwards. Dane, we mentioned this story last week on the podcast, but we said we'd be following up, and you did. You went and chatted with Sherry Pridham, who is the first female director sportif of a men's world tour team. Yeah, uh, I, I talked to, to Sherry earlier this year because her, her uh, Vitas team was uh, doing great in the Zwift racing scene. Uh, and then, yeah, we talked again last week uh, about how things came together with Israel Startup Nation, uh, where she's going to go be a sports director next year. Um, what she's expecting, and then also just you know the 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 team itself having a bunch of new big names coming on board. Uh, she's going to go from directing uh, Vitas, and and of course she ran that team as well uh, for for a number of years, uh, and now she's going to be directing uh, Chris Froome and uh, some other very you know, Seth Van Marka, some other very big names, uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I think everybody over at that team is very excited about what next year is going to look like. So uh, that that was something that I was pretty interested in, in hearing about as well. So yeah, here's me chatting for a little bit with uh, Sherry Pridham. Has it has it been a kind of bittersweet uh, last few months with with the team that you've been running for so long? Uh, you know, no no longer going to exist, but now some good news. Absolutely. I mean, it's been one hell of an emotional roller coaster. Um, just knowing what to do for the best, you know, because you want to, you want to continue the fight, and that's basically how I've managed to, to run the continental team for, you know, for well over a decade. And it's, uh, there were some big, big thoughts that went into whether we could drag it through as a, as an elite team, you know, just drop down for maybe one year. And that still looked quite a viable option, um, I'd say, until mid-October, really. Um, and then we we were struggling then um, to bring in a sponsor that we, we'd sort of hoped to bring in for, for three years. And then reality started to dawn for me personally. Um, you know, I have to survive. I have to think of myself. And I've got a family to run and, and everything else. And uh, I started looking for real-time, real jobs, basically. Um, scared the life out of me never had to do a CV in my life other than a bike riding CV um, didn't get any response uh, at all bar one after maybe 30 odd jobs I applied for but also in the meantime thought well why not Let, let's put my you know it's what I want to do let's put my name out there to a handful of pro tour will tour teams and uh, surprisingly I ISN was the first team to respond. So how did that uh, how did that come about? Can you just kind of walk me through how how everything came together with ISN? Well, um, you know, they, all credit to Chell Colstrom really. He uh, he picked the phone up to me and uh, he gave me an opportunity to share my dreams and my ambitions as a person as a deer. Um, you know, I'd always had this sort of pie in the sky idea that I'd take my own team to World Tour, but soon realised. 
you know, it'd be like when you're a bike rider, you think I'm going to ride the Tour de France, you know, and then you, well, I mean, I did personally, but, you know, it's it's sort of one of those dreams. And, you know, I spent a good 40 minutes talking to Chell um, and then didn't hear anything for a while uh, because, of course, their season was crazy. Well, World Tour season was crazy. Um, and a condensed version of actually what happened was, you know, we get, got a, had a board meeting together about the future of Vitas Pro Cycling. Um, and I came back from that, sat down with the family and said, look, there's only one option here and I've got to close the doors on the team. But I wanted it to be under my terms. You know, I, I didn't want to fail at, you know, not being able to take the team through 100% to the end of this year in particular. And I was very nervous about the, the whole you know, COVID pandemic thing for 2021. And I also was concerned about the, the cost that it was going to, we were going to incur trying to get a team abroad, you know. Um, and that's basically, you know, a handful of decisions that led me to, to close the team down, um, which which I did. Uh, and I can remember the date, it was a Wednesday, can't remember the date. All happened in, in sort of November time. Uh, and then within an hour, I actually had a, I had a, an email contract offer from from ISN from Chell. Um, I can't explain the emotions that, that that had for me, but I just I just cried like a baby. Wow, yeah, that's uh, I, I can imagine it'd be a pretty uh, roller coaster of a of a day. Yeah, it, it, well, it was an evening even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long had the team? Uh, been running for how long had the Vitas team been been running for? So um, I took ownership of uh, uh, sorry of Team Rally uh, in June 2013. Took ownership from the first of January 2014. So we created a management company um, to to run um, and sort of hold all the corporate side of things uh, for for the team. Uh, and then I was with Rally as a as a team owner till the end of 2017, and it was pretty much my choice to to look for pastures new. Rally had got a new Rally UK themselves had got a new direction uh, commercially, um, and I went head hunting a, a new title sponsor, which uh, which uh, was Vitas Pro Cycling, and we had a three year contract with them, um, and obviously COVID kind of. Uh, Caught our third year yeah. short. Yeah, uh, but you did uh, fortunately uh, ended up with with ISN with the with the contract offer, uh, which was yeah, I, I, like you said, I'm uh, uh, I'm sure that was an emotional roller coaster. And and now I'm 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 assuming that you're able to kind of look ahead with with some optimism towards towards 2021. Oh, for sure. Um, I think initially it was oh my god, is this really true? <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I, I think as we've had meetings and, and I've sort of realised, you know, the significance. Because the other thing was, you know, to me, I'm just doing doing what I love, and I've, of course, I've been given a huge opportunity and a big responsibility in terms of being the first woman to to knock on Wiltor door um, as a, as a sports director. Obviously, there's females in in other positions uh, at world tour level, but I'm the first as a as a sports director. So, um, I think just the press interest that I've had in in the last week, uh, and tomorrow will be one week, 
um, has made me realise the significance, and it's still sort of sink, sinking in, really. When you were uh, when you were sending out your, your your CV, did you have a sense that you know this is this is something that's going to be uh, new? I mean, was that something that you had in the back of your mind? Not really. I didn't. I didn't really send the CV. Um, I think uh, I, I sort of you know I've been around for for, for ten years, and so. Most of the very good DSs I've, I've come across over the years, you know, particularly at Tory Yorkshire level and Tory Britain level. So it's not a case that I've not, you know, I've, I've, I've been known amongst the DSs. Uh, you know, one in particular is Brian Holmes sent me a nice message. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't send a CV, really. I just said, look, you know, I'm super keen to have a, a, a new direction. Would you be interested in listening to, to my story? When you uh, having been having been in, in the you know in the game for so long and, and been in this sport for for so long, um, do you think that the the environment uh, has changed over the past few years uh, in, in the respect of you know uh, of uh, of World Tour teams being um, in a position where they are gonna they are gonna bring on uh, a female sports director? Is that something that you feel has changed over the past few years? I think, yeah, certainly in the last 18 months, uh, there's been a significant swing towards equality, hasn't there? Um, and but, but I've never, I've never really, I've always sat on the fence really, and just, I've just been one of the boys, if you like. I, I, I've always acknowledged, even when I was, when I was a youngster and I started cycling, when I started racing, all I could do was compete against the junior boys because there wasn't. We probably count them on one hand, you know, the number of girls that were racing back in the day, like, I don't know, about 40 years ago or something. Um, so it's something I've done all my all my life, really. And, and even when I came across to, to the UK, I still competed here. A lot of my top end racing was with, uh, you know, elite men here. And I trained with the men. Uh, and then, of course, when I got the opportunity to to DS at at Rally UK at Conti level, I was one of the first females then. But it isn't until now that you actually, you know, you realise that your whole career has been following the same path. Yeah. Uh, did Did you feel like in in the early days of starting out as a as a DS or or you know, moving up from that on the on the management side, uh, did you feel like you were often uh, in a position where you were working to overcome uh, like people's preconceived notions of what to expect, and and do you think that that's still the case? Do you expect that to still be the case? Yeah, uh, yeah, and you do come across, you do come across it now. Not so much anymore. I think um, back in the day, obviously, when I first joined the convoys, if you like, I had to earn my respect, um, and I believe I did that pretty quickly. You know, like, I, I, I can. You know, I can remember some incidences, but as long as you can handle your car and you, and you conduct yourself in a professional manner, nobody's going to keep looking at you in the car as, as a female. You're just doing what the other DSs are doing. And I've always looked upon my whole career that way. Um, I've never seen myself as a female D- DS, and I've said that to, to to most people I've chatted to. I've always just seen myself as a DS. Are there, uh, have there been other other women kind of over the over the the years uh in sort of these similar trailblazing roles that you felt um you know you formed relationships with that that have helped you kind of uh uh yeah just just form that that worldview and and get get kind of your um your mindset for what you're going to be kind of getting into now not 
really, no. Um, again, it's what I do. You know, it's it's what I've done for the last 15 years, being a team manager, being a team owner, being a sports director. Um, I've, I've never looked at anybody else um, and gone, oh, wow, I wish I could be doing that. I, I, it, it isn't until... You know, this week where people are saying, oh, you've been, you know, you're a tra- trailblazer and a pioneer and all this. Um, well, to me, I'm just Sherry and I'm doing what I do every day. Well, you'll be doing what you do every day at a team that uh, happens to have Chris Froome on the roster next year uh, and some <laughs> other pretty big riders uh, yeah. as well. And that, so that there's another big sort of sort of track for the conversation that I want to get into. Uh, uh, when when you've been talking to the folks over at ISN, uh, what is the atmosphere like over there? What is the what are the conversations there like over there about a year ne- next year where the team is suddenly going to have? A, I mean, they already have some big names, but they're going to have a lot of star power next year. And, and I'm just kind of curious what the what the uh, yeah what the atmosphere is like over there. Uh, I, you know, I I think as as a as a team, and bearing in mind I've only been about a month, but for, for sure they've they've had one year now at, at World Tour. And you know, can we count COVID as a as a crazy first year at World Tour? Um, I think the team come through remarkably with their first two uh, World Tour victories, one at Giro, one at the Volta. So that's a real good indication as to the, the level that the team is stepping up to for sure. And then the significant signings of Chris Froome, Michael Woods, Seth and Mark, those kind of guys, uh, bolstering the already, uh, I believe, strong team. Um, and I say that because I think the team has to grow. It has to, it's gone from Conti to Pro Conti to World Tour in such a short space of time. I still believe, and, and I think we believe as a, as a management group, that we still, to some degree, um, the, the sort of dark horse, you, you know, or, or, or you know, there's, there's, there's obviously going to be expectations, but that's up to us to manage uh, and, and, and lead. And, of course, we believe... 100% in Chris Froome, um, and we will do what we can, you know, to to back Chris and the other, very much so the other leaders, that, you know, whether it's classics, whether it's, you know, in the time trials or, or whatever, you know, we, I believe we have a, a, a management group that's well capable now of making that next step. Coming from being in a position where you're running a team, running the show, uh, to being one of the group of DSs, uh, what are you what are you expecting from that? Are you expecting kind of a different experience? Are you looking forward to that? Is it going to be uh, it's going to be unusual, kind of being one of this sort of team of DSs now? Um, I, I'm I'm sort of really relishing the opportunity to get on with my DS job. I think the last three years where I've had to constantly fight to look for sponsors to, you know, to worry about making sure the staff and the riders are paid every month. Um, obviously, I haven't got that's that's somebody else's um, problem, shall we say? Um, I and I can do what I'm good at, you know, which is which is what I'm really relishing. Is there a specific aspect of the DS job that you? Uh... That you relish the most, uh, whether it's just driving in a car or drawing up the game plan, anything like that. That that uh, is is just your your favorite part of that kind of that gig. I, I love doing all of that. I love obviously um, driving. Sometimes is is always not the easiest. Sometimes you get more technical races. Sometimes some of the races, some of the stages are 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 boring. But I think the planning, um, the you know the the sort of velo viewer wind direction you know all that that makes everything so interesting in the team car 
for us to be able to give rider information, that sort of thing. Tactics is, is something I'm really looking forward to. Speaking of Elevue, I mean, that's a, one of the a couple of ways that I can think of where being a DS has probably changed uh, in, in that the, the tools available to you have just grown pretty significantly over the last decade or so. Uh, anything else that you feel like the, the DSing job has developed since you got into this, you know, a, a couple, couple yeah, of years ago? Yeah, definitely, de- de- definitely. Um, you know, I think we've, we're fortunate now that we have very professional, specific people like the coaches and performance staff that absolutely on the button with the riders training power numbers you know health and 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 everything else you know they actually do the main part of my job to make sure that my rider is fit when he comes to race so there's a there's a there's a complete team now behind uh, a team manager if you like a ds now that actually helps get that rider in tip-top shape for his race yeah um, is there anything in particular, uh, a specific race, uh, moment, um, just, just thing in general that you're most looking forward to next year? Uh, oh, a, a nice, a nice technical, um, sort of, I don't know, Strada Bianchi. Um, I don't know whether I'll get an opportunity at, um, a Paris Roubaix or something like that, but. Oh, a real, a real way you have to get your teeth into that car and be on on the limit with you know four eyes, two eyes at the back of each each side of your head and just on the ball all the time. But like I said, you know I'm I'll, I'm just going to grab this opportunity with both hands and whatever whatever Chell or Rick uh, put me in charge of, you know we we're going to go out and give it 100%. Um, has there been a lot of uh, planning already? at the team or is that something that's still, still yes. a little bit ahead yes yes no we've we've been we've been busy sort of once a week uh on zoom obviously um, and then we uh we go out to girona uh on saturday in fact um for our first ds camp and um, so i'm looking forward to that meeting meeting most of the staff obviously the mechanics are building bikes for 2021 all the ds's there will be doing out of a lot of planning um you know, for race plan, race calendar, and so on with the lads uh, for 2021. So uh, obviously, the, the, the arrival of Chris Froome gets a lot of the press. I'm curious if, you know, looking at the roster, if there are, if there are other riders or just other sort of units within the team that you think will also be particularly, uh, you know, handy at getting results next year. Any areas of the of the of the roster where you feel like you you guys are really uh, well suited to success that beyond beyond the fact that you have a four-time tour winner i think uh, mike woods in particular is going to bring some strength right across the board um and and in particular in support pot- potentially with uh set the mark so you know there's there's two options there already let let alone you know the the other guys that we've not got to forget about but i also you know what i like about isn is the fact that they've got a continental team uh, and Zach Dempster heads that continental team, and he is doing a fantastic job at identifying um, great under-23 talent. And I think that's really crucial. That's also something that's quite close to my heart, is is maybe being given the opportunity to step across maybe at one, one point to do some work with Zach uh, at the continent, on the continental team. Um, but, uh, you know, there again, you know, I'll, I'll go where I'm told. Um, but that's, you know... It just shows you the whole 
the whole strength of the, the, the organization from supporting the young riders you know then and then obviously the domestics and then you know your your strength in the team leaders i think that's all i got in the question department uh so thank you cool. very much no problem Well, listeners, this is our penultimate episode of 2020. We have one more coming next week. What a crazy year it has been. Through the insanity that was 2020, we have been able to continue delivering you all of the cycling content that you love, videos from behind the scenes at Grand Tours, two podcasts a week, countless stories from inside and outside the traditional cycling world. We've been able to do all of this thanks to... Velo Club. Velo Club is what sets us apart. The support from our members is the reason we can do what we do, and we have big goals in 2021. So, my penultimate request of 2020 is that you go and join Velo Club and support this podcast, support everything we do here at Cycling Tips. You can sign up. Uh, it'll bill you either monthly or you can do the whole year all at once. Whatever you want to do, head over to cyclingtips.com slash sign up. You can also gift one if you wanted to. We are into the holiday season here. Yeah, it's very, very important to us and our future and us being able to continue doing all the things that you love that we do. So please go sign up, cyclingtips.com slash sign up. On the Velo Club note, we have something kind of special coming to Velo Club members this week. Uh, Jose, why don't you kind of set this up? You went and chatted with a pretty, uh, pretty special individual yesterday, and we're going to be bringing people this story. Well, you've you've got a written version of this story, and we have a essentially a feature length film uh, coming this week that Velo Club members are going to get access to. What are we talking about? Uh, it was on the twenty eighth of May, uh, two thousand sixteen, that we heard the news of a really big crash in the Tour of Belgium. And if you remember, two thousand sixteen, it was a pretty dark year for cycling with the death of Antoine Dumoutier, who crashed in Gent-Wevelgem. Also, Dan Mijngeer, who had a cardiac arrest in the Criterium International. So. Stig would be the third Belgian rider in two months' time who would die in a race. But he proved to be a, a med medical miracle, actually. His doctors, nobody gave an inch or a penny or something for his life. He was, according to his doctors, well, almost brain dead. But um, his mother never gave up hope. They, they kept treating him. They kept trying to stimulate his brain cells. And after almost seven months, he woke up from a coma. And he had to start learning everything again from from talking to eating to walking to to everything. Um, and Stig Brooks is now 30 years and he was 26 when this all happened, just turned 26 two weeks before that. And his life has changed. But throughout the entire experience, there has been he's been so incredibly positive. And I, I, I knew him before the crash and, and we chatted a little bit on the tour of Turkey. And he was so full of life and so happy with everything that was, was happening in his life, you know, living his boyhood dream of becoming a pro cyclist. And then two weeks later, everything changed uh, so dramatically. This uh, documentary called The Stich um, is, is about his recovery. Uh, and you see everything. You see 
uh, the, des the uh, despair in the eyes of his parents, his brothers, his sister. Uh, you see how he wakes up again, how he goes into a rehabilitation center, tries to learn to walk. And in everything, you see that that spirit of the athlete trying to get his the best out of himself. And in the beginning, he develops like a child, you know, big steps forward. And, and gradually, those big steps become baby steps. And the most difficult thing for him is trying to speak again. Um, and it's not because he has brain damage, because his intellectual abilities have not been harmed. He's, is, he's as intelligent as he was before, but he just can't express himself properly because due to the coma and the intubation, his facial muscles were just basically out of order for seven months. So he has to train all those little facial muscles, the, the, the focal cords, and try to speak again. And that is a really tough process. And it, to be honest, it's, it's in the beginning, the first 15 to 20 minutes, it's really hard to understand him. But then gradually you, you, you pick up more and more words and you, you piece the, together the puzzle of what he's trying to say. And it was a very inspiring talk uh, with him, a, a guy who's always positive, who always tried to say the positive things in everything. One of, the, one of the most amazing things he said to me, he said, you know, you say I was lucky that I crashed in 2016 and not in 2014 or 2015, because in that year it might have been different. You know, the medical developments were already there for me. And, and he's, he just says without an inch of doubt that he's a lucky guy, that he is, uh, that he's healthy again. He's getting married, you know, he's engaged to, to his girlfriend that he met on Tinder. <laughs> he's from a village like five kilometers. And in the documentary, you see a different girl that he was with uh, before the accident, but eventually they broke up. And then his friends encouraged him to go on Tinder. And he met, uh, he met her and she's a pharmacist and he now does all the house housework. He does the cooking when, he, when I arrived there yesterday, just being peeling the potatoes, you know, has one hand that's a little bit spastic. So he just pulls down the potato on, on, um, on, the, on the table and then has that peeler and just try to peel the potatoes and make, make her dinner. So when she comes home, he just lovingly serves her dinner and well, they're getting married and he's, 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 he's getting his driver's license. He can't get his, do his exam at the moment due to the corona uh, restrictions. And he's just, it's just a positive guy and, and he wants to motivate, he wants to inspire. And, and if you see that film tomorrow or whenever it becomes available for the Veloclop members or even for everybody to see with the English subtitles, uh, just be prepared to cry because uh, I did and I'm, I'm not crying easily. It's, it's such an amazing, uh, amazing story, a miracle story of just a normal farmer's boy. He's a farmer's son. They, they are not just ordinary folk um, and going through this extraordinary um, experience together as a family. And it's a story of, of love and of family and of perseverance. And, and, and through all that, he just keeps smiling. And that smile is contagious in itself. So everybody should just watch that documentary. It's, it's a must watch. It is, it is pretty incredible. And as I said, uh, if you're a Velical member, you're going to be getting access to this. There's also going to be paid access elsewhere, but, uh, you know, our, our members are going to get access to this, this documentary. It is, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it will definitely make you cry. And Jose, you went and talked to him on Monday and we're going to have a written piece up as well. Uh, yeah, this is just one of those stories that from absolute heartbreak, there, there's there are some positives that come out of it and as as you said Jose, you know Stig considers himself lucky uh and it's it really is it's a perspective shifter i think on all of our lives particularly after a difficult year so if you haven't already 
go sign up for Velo Club. Make sure you get access to this thing and check out the story that Jose wrote, which will go up on Wednesday. Now, last but not least today, time for Nerd Alert. 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 James, what are we talking about today? Uh, We're talking about a couple things, actually. The first thing that we want to touch upon is uh, something that I believe we have discussed before, which is the existence of these uh, compounds. Like they're, 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 I mean, the, the acronym is PFAS, it's called PFAS, but uh, let's see, what, is, what does it stand for here? Per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. Um, but the reason why these are important is because they are, they've been termed sort of, you know, quote unquote, forever chemical, because they basically just don't degrade. Um, and they've been found in a lot of common household items, and um, you know the, the, they're toxic. And the concern is that they are uh, present in a lot of bicycle lubricants also, as we are learning more and more about. Uh, and one of those substances is Teflon, which is quite common in the bicycle world. Um, so we're going to be looking into this a little bit more, but the, the issue now is that you know, these things do make lubricants work better. But given their toxicity, the issue is, what do we do about it? Yeah. So as you said, we're going to look into this a little bit more. And, and uh, we've got some experts to call up uh, who deal with PFAS on a more regular basis. But it, it has sort of come to our attention, not just now, but previously. This is something we've been paying attention to for, for a little while, that these they, they, they do they find their way into bikes in various places. But as you said, most obviously in lubes, uh, you know, they're also found in lots of other things. They're found in, in lots of makeup, for example. They're found in ski wax. They're found in, in lots of things. Uh, and they they can cause, uh, or I should say, they've been associated with liver damage, thyroid disease, decreased fertility, high cholesterol, hormone suppression, cancer, bad, bad, bad stuff. And so we want to look into some, the use of some of these in, in lubes and kind of dig a little bit further into whether they're really necessary, uh, which I would say for a bicycle lube, pretty much anything that causes cancer is probably not fully necessary. Maybe we can probably live without the, you know, very, very mild increase in chain efficiency to prevent uh, cancer. That seems like an easy equation. Uh, (laughs) Marginal gains, Kaylee, marginal gains. Marginal gains, uh, uh, everything, everything in service of marginal gains, right? Yeah, so we want to look into this a little bit more. As I said, we're gonna we're gonna call up some experts, uh, but we just wanted to sort of highlight this as something that we're paying attention to, and also, frankly, just kind of throw out there that you know, take a look at your lube, and and if it's got something like PTFE in it, which is included in these in these PFAS chemicals, maybe buy a different lube. Uh, you know, I think that we can pretty comfortably say that that uh, there are plenty of good options out there without some of these chemicals, and. Uh, they're not good, so let's try to avoid let's try to avoid using them, and we'll we'll dig like I said, dig into this further and provide more evidence for why you should why you should avoid them at a future date, right? So I guess another another thing to mention about that, uh, our illustrious in-house chain efficiency expert Dave Rome, he is going to be releasing an article pretty soon uh, talking about a bunch of chain lubes, uh, and he is going to include a discussion on lubes that do and do not contain those substances. So keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah, I've got a friend who works in cleanup of these things, and uh, she says they're horrible. So we're going to figure out how to make them less nasty in bicycles, where they're probably not necessary. Because, for example, they're used in, like, fire retardants and things like that, which, you know, if you got to put out a fire, you got to put out a fire. That's kind of an important thing. But uh, chain lube, 
less important. Yeah, this this entire PayPal thing has been on the news uh, almost nonstop in the Netherlands uh, before the Corona crisis. It was the biggest problem um, in in our government next to nitrogen uh, deposition, because it basically stops the entire building industry, roads, houses, uh, offices, everything. Because the rule is now, if there is over one, uh, 0.1 microgram of PFAS per kilo um, in, the, in the ground, you can't move the ground. And that is the case at the moment in 85% of all building sites in the Netherlands. So it's a huge, huge problem uh, for building in, uh, in my country. So it's not only about biking industry, it's, it's something that's, that's quite universal. So like you said, if we can just do our little bit and try not to buy stuff with this, this chemical compound in it. Um, it'll help uh, build my house as well, I think. So thanks. You know what's <laughs> actually super interesting about this is um, is the, the crossover between, I don't know if it's the same substance, but between this and uh, Nordic skiing, how Nordic skiing. Yeah, fluorocarbons, yeah. same stuff. Yeah, yeah, so there, that's really interesting because that was like a really big deal in the Nordic skiing world when they banned that. Yeah, because so basically these are super, super expensive, very fast ski waxes. Uh, I remember this as well. I was in I was in high school uh, when this occurred, and uh, the ski league that I was in they they already banned them basically. And so the only times that we would run into these things were when we would go up and ski against the like the ski schools in Vermont, uh, and they are crazy fast on cross-country skis they would make your skis feel like like you're on ice skates basically uh but they're horrible horrible for for the environment so good that they got banned and this is one of those things where you know there's lots of chemicals out there that we sort of find out a bit too late that they're very bad for you this is one of those this is one of those that's been very very common for a very long time as jose said it's been used in building materials and roads and things like that beyond just sort of outdoor sports you know ski waxes and chain lubes uh been used in gr much greater quantities elsewhere without any sort of full understanding of the impact i mean you know another great example of this exact sort of thing happening is something like asbestos right where we used asbestos all over the place for decades and then all of a sudden realized that that's really bad for you and we need to stop doing that so i think that's kind of where we are with PFAS right now it's a slightly different scenario uh it's less likely to give you sort of an immediate onset of of horrible cancers and more the issue that this stuff never goes away and so if we continue to use it the essentially the, the you know the parts per billion in a lot of uh places in the world are going to be just too high to be safe so we'll return to this subject what's next on our nerd alert list james something slightly more lighthearted, i would say has nothing to do with death it's uh, has to do with drafting speaking of our discussion of drafting in Zwift. Uh, so a professor who works at a couple of universities, one in the Netherlands, one in Belgium, uh, Dr. Bert Blocken. Uh, he, he, you may have noticed his work before. I mean, there was a there was a, uh, a computational fluid dynamic simulation that went around at you know toward the beginning of the pandemic that simulated you know sort of what like a droplet cloud would look like if you're riding in a group. Uh, and you know they kind of gave people a little bit of insight as to how closely you may or may not want to follow someone if they you know say like blow a snot rocket or just like breathing really heavily in a pace line or something. Um, but he he's done a lot of these things, and uh, he just recently did a pretty big CFD study looking at the effect of uh, various race vehicles on a rider in terms of aerodynamic drag, and some of the results are really quite surprising. 
Um, so, you know, Kayla, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, if you are a rider kind of like really, really tucked into the middle of a peloton, you get a huge drafting effect. And based on his calculations, I mean, it's, it's like up to 95%, basically. It's like if you're in a right spot in a peloton, I mean, yes, you have to exert energy to go uphill and stuff like that. But as far as wind resistance, you basically are having to do nothing. I think this sort of matches up with what most of us have experienced if you've ridden in a in a big group. I'm not, you know, I'm talking, I'm not talking like four or five people. I'm talking of, you know, a group like of, yeah, a group of like 30 plus 40 plus kind of people where you can be really right in the middle of that thing. Uh, you know, we've always had this, what was it? It's like 30, 35% is kind of thrown around as the number that really, uh, you know, the amount of, uh, of, of essentially like watt reduction you get in, in drag. Uh, but that never felt accurate to me because like I said, I've, I've, I've been in the middle of Peloton's doing, you know, 115 watts going 28 miles an hour, right? And and that to and me indicates, yeah, that 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 to me indicates that 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 drag reduction is a heck of a lot more than than 35 percent and closer to what uh, this study was showing, which is you know up in that 80 90 percent range. Because the person on the front of that group to go 28 miles an hour is doing well more than double what I would be doing, probably three or four times what I was doing in the middle of that peloton. Which oh, again kind of comes back to our, our esports discussion of if, if Zwift actually wants to make, you know, uh, online cycling a little bit more accurate, they need to really ramp up that that draft figure and give you give you seventy five percent decrease in in power output when you're sitting in the middle of the pack. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's maybe a subject for for a different day. But I mean, I I would almost argue that Zwift doesn't necessarily want to make it hyper realistic all the time i mean it is a game and they want to ultimately make it kind of more challenging and entertaining um but anyway coming back to this discussion i mean a a lot of the findings in this latest round of studies is again not entirely surprising for a lot of us like i said that 95 percent draft drag reduction figure in in a big group um you know that 35% figure, I mean, that that's what he came up with as well. If you are drafting behind one rider, if you're behind, uh, let's see, I think if you're ninth in a string of eight, or ninth in a string of nine, uh, your drag reduction is 58%, which is huge. But the really interesting stuff is, again, the, the effect of race vehicles on a single rider, if you're not just behind, but also in front of these vehicles. So... You know, if you're tucked in behind a race moto, no surprise. If you're right behind, it's a 75% drag reduction. No one's going to be surprised to hear about that. What is surprising is that if you are, according to this study, and again, I mean, these are, these, there are some sort of you know ideal conditions that are required as well. But in a situation where there is no crosswind, uh, no other influencing factors, if you are 40 meters behind a camera moto with a driver and a, a camera operator, that rider still gets a 10% drag reduction. At 40 meters behind, and then if you are uh, about 20 meters behind a race vehicle, 20 meters—that's a pretty good ways. It's still a 13% reduction. Even more remarkable is if you are in front of one of these vehicles. Say you are, you know, five meter, five meters in front of a race moto. It's a 0.3% drag reduction. Small, but not nothing. And then also, if you are five meters in front of a race car, a, a, a support car. That's a 1.4% drag reduction. Now, these are not situations that you see all the time in races and certainly not for long periods of time. But if you are like, you know, trying to trying to launch a breakaway or you're in a time trial, something like that, like these little small differences can make a difference in a race. I mean, 1.4% doesn't sound like a lot, but until you realize that, you know, people are spending 
thousands of dollars to get that much of a of a you know decrease in watts out of their bike or spending you know hundreds of hours training to get to get that much of an increase in in, in power output it, it, it's it is really dramatic and what this shows i think is that tv motos camera motos official motos cars have unquestionably had a dramatic impact on bike races in the past and this is something we sort of knew anecdotally but this data would suggest that it's it's impacting basically every single race throughout the entire calendar i mean there are there are races there are races like the tour de france for example where there are you know 15 20 motos zooming around all over the place and it's impossible to, to sort of fully quantify exactly what those things have done. But if you're getting that much of a draft from being 40 meters away from a moto, that has impacted breakaways, that has impacted solo efforts, that has impacted how much work the person on the front of the peloton is doing as they're chasing down a breakaway. It, it's Like I said, it's, it's impossible to know exactly what the end result is, but there's no question in my mind that vehicles have impacted the outcome of races probably more frequently than we fully understand for sure no question and that's one of the things i i, I asked uh dr blocken about uh i actually just did a big interview with him very 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 early this morning thank you time change or thank six you, o'clock difference. in the morning sorry james six <laughs> o'clock in the morning um but uh so that interview will actually run in a future episode of nerd alert uh and you know along with a pretty deep dive that we are all going to have uh, about sort of the some of the details of his findings as well as some of the implications of some of these as far as you know what can be done in races what sort of rule changes could potentially be implemented and you know what sh- what we should be doing about this in general and it was, it's a pretty interesting discussion so uh if you don't already listen to nerd alert i encourage you to listen to i guess it won't be the very very next episode because that will be our awards episode but the i guess will be the first one of the new year so make sure you stay tuned for that one early january and just a just as a reminder nerd alert the podcast different from nerd alert the segment in this podcast we're not very good at branding uh (laughs) 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 there's a whole separate podcast which is james and dave rome and myself and zach edwards uh, our pro mechanic and we just you know talk about super nerd it's basically just an hour-long version of the nerd alert segment but even more nerdy so if you're into that kind of thing go check it out subscribe hop on that one uh part of the cycling tips podcast network which includes this podcast that podcast freewheeling from the top am i forgetting anything else that's it now yeah bring back the a whole bunch cycle. of podcasts i know we could we could talk about that <laughs> a discussion for the beginning of next year perhaps uh is it? i think i i me too oh, the look of the look of dread in dane's face right now dane's like no thank you <laughs> <laughs> Way we could discuss bringing back the news cycle. I I really liked the news cycle, but uh, you know, if people don't, it is what it is. Anyway, no, seriously, go go subscribe to Nerd Alert. Make sure you catch that episode when it comes out at the beginning of next year. Go subscribe to Freewheeling. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because if you're subscribed to this podcast, it'll just get pushed to your phone automatically. You can even have it set up a little, you know, uh, push notification to tell you when it's when it's here, so you can listen to us on the weekly uh all very important things and of course go sign up for velo club because i haven't mentioned that enough yet today before we wrap this up i've gone through the i've gone through the uh i've gone i've done something i did a thing i don't know why i can't talk today Uh i googled what is the opposite of virtual 
So who gave you permission to do a thing? So <laughs> we we have a couple options. So we have real is technically according to the internet an opposite. Um, du jour, I like that one. Du jour racing sounds a little fancy, you know. Road racing, it fancy. Yeah. Uh, legitimate. Like du jour, like like of the what day. What happens at night? Yeah, what if you're swifting in the middle of the night? Is that? <laughs> no, this is for. On the road racing, this is for the opposite of virtual racing. Virtual racing is Zwift racing. So if we want to go with another word for on the road racing, we've got substantial, existent, uh, proven, ordinary, existent, uh, abstract. <laughs> we got it. It's good. We get the internet. Anyone? So wait, what do we decide here? I don't know. We, I'm proven? I'm just tossing out words. I'm waiting for someone to be like, yeah, that sounds like it's a good one. Physical, phys- none of them physical sound like a good one. Doesn't really because they're both <laughs> physical, tangible, practical. All right. Well, I think because it's clear that we are not going to come up with a, a a good phrase for that today. Uh, for anyone listening to this, I think you should let us know what yep. you think. Whatever. <laughs> this racing, I, I can't even, I, I real or du jour or whatever <laughs> racing. Du jour makes no uh, sense. <laughs> traditional traditional racing where you're sitting on a bicycle and actually like covering distance on, on some in the surface. Outside, yep. In the outside yep. world. Or, yep. yeah. If, Can we just call it non-digital racing? Or non-virtual. Acoustic has been thrown around, but I, I hate that. I do not want to no, call but, it acoustic but racing. <laughs> but, that's not, but that's not what it is either, because acoustic has basically been termed for if you're on a bike that's not powered, that doesn't have a motor in it. So that's True. already been taken. True. So but hopefully anyway, it does apply. If anyone has a right? suggestion for it. Um, we, we do hope that. <laughs> yeah, hope, that applies hope to road racing. Well, unless you've got ETAP or DI2, then you got motors on your bike. <sighs> Cheating. If anyone has a suggestion for a good phrase for non-virtual racing please let us know and we'll see maybe we can make something stick sort of like groating yeah and or or flavel bikes inventing terrible words is really is really what we're good at here (laughs) all right let's wrap up for today thanks everybody for listening as always as i said we've got one more episode coming this year and then taking a bit of a break for the holidays uh we're going to be not making podcasts for Two weeks or so. So, sorry about that, but it's how it is. Go sign up for Velo Club, cyclotips.com slash sign up. As I said, you can you can be billed monthly. It's a very small amount of money. It's like two coffees. Uh, and I need to shout out my old friend, Pat Cafferkey, who messaged me last night and said, you should tell people more often that they can be billed monthly because that's what made me sign up. And I was like, okay, I will do that. Thank you, Pat. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being my friend for a decade or more. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye-bye.